Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hagan. I'm working with... An Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver-area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on The Chuck and Julie Show. And hello, everybody. The Chuck and Julie Grassroots Show, The Truth Straight Up. Julie Hayden, Chuck Bonniewell. Chuck is at uh, an appointment. He has a meeting. He should be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. A lot of talk about today. We'll get to it eventually. A new candidate announcing for CD4, the Trump trial on the ballot going on right now in Colorado. And Kevin McCarthy, what a shocker, stepping down. But wanted to start off with one of our favorite guests, Cheryl Shumley. She's an author and a commentator, and she has a great column up on her Substack about the COP28, the United Nations Climate Change Conference, being attended by like a billion people all flying in on their private jets. Um, Hey, Cheryl, thank you for your time. It's a great column you have up. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's always great to be with you guys. I really Uh appreciate it. Well, thank you. You know what? We had, Chuck and I have talked about this. We've been following these very, these climate conferences for years. And, and you can't help but notice they all fly in on their private jets. Um, and then tell us we can't fly. We can't use our gas stoves. We can't eat meat, et cetera, et cetera. It's just ridiculous. But this year, and you noted this in your column, it seems more ridiculous and I'm going to say hypocritical than usual. So they're having their climate change conference where they're telling everyone we have to quit driving cars, you know, that are driven, that are, fueled by gasoline, oil, et cetera, in Dubai, right? And the president of the conference is the head of the United Arab Emirates oil company. I mean, that just seems insane to me, but yet there they are. You know, and you make a really good point, right? That every year we, we sort of talk about the hypocrisy that just seems to be the running theme of all, all these climate um, gatherings, right? Because for all of them, these elites seem to take their private jets and they spare no expense. They spare no luxurious expense. And yet they stand there on their grand stages and point fingers at the rest of the world. And like you said, they tell us not to drive, not to fly, not to eat meat, not to use gas stoves and so forth and so on. And the list is endless. And the big thing here now, though, is that we need to tread carefully because they're getting very close to announcing the agenda, right? The, the agenda has an end date on it, and it's, and it's 2030. These are all UN goals that have been in the works for years and years under sustainable development is sort of the tagline the UN uses, but it's all part of their uh, ability to control citizens of the world. And the coronavirus was there's great win, right? That is why I say it's a little bit more perilous now, these gatherings, and we need to pay a little bit more attention because they won big with the COVID message that we sent in America that we are willing to comply and obey. 
Let me add a couple. Boy, you bring up so many great points. On one hand, I think there's something to be encouraged about because I think people, I think it'd be much harder to get everybody to wear a mask this time around. I want to know what you think about that. But in Europe, we're seeing, for instance, there are all supposed to be no gas vehicles by like 2025 or something like that. In Europe and the EU, they're changing that as prices get higher. Um, here we had in the United States, the Biden administration gave like, I, I don't know what, millions and millions of dollars to this solar bus company and it's gone, or electric bus company, it's gone broke and they can't fix it. So some of it is starting to fall apart. Um, but but watch, my dogs are barking here. But what do you think about, you know, in terms of, is that a good sign or do you think it's not going to be enough? It's a great question. And it's one that I'm either often asked or I often think about at home because we look back on what happened with the coronavirus in this country and we see that there is a lot of backlash now, right? There are a lot of people who are standing up and saying no more, never again. My kids aren't wearing face masks. I'm going to church. I'm going to school. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep my business open. But I have to say I'm not as optimistic that a COVID seizure of liberties part two could not come because fear is a very powerful tool. And you and I, right now, when we think about going back into another lockdown, right, we're looking at it through the eyes of sanity. We're thinking that there's no way this could happen because too many people are upset about it and too many people would push back. And my, my response to that is that the Democrats, the globalists, they don't care. They have the media in their pockets, right? So all they need are a few players in key positions of influence in order to steamroll their agenda through anyhow. And sort of a physical uprising from the masses, they could very well and very easily accomplish the same sort of lockdowns that they did before. Here's an example. If they want to put us back in face masks, then the FAA, all they have to do under Joe Biden is declare face masks required as a condition to fly. So is everybody going to stop flying? Same with school students, right? Face masks required to send your kids to school. Is everybody going to stop doing that? So we, we have to look at it in terms of they are shameless in what they want to accomplish, and sanity and common sense don't really play into it. You know, that's a good point and a scary one. And I'll get circled back to that. But let me ask you maybe a really clarifying question. And that is, why are they doing this? I mean, I don't for a second believe they, again, you just look at their actions, that these people care at all, actually, about the climate or climate change. What what's what is What is their end game here? Well, for that, you have to go and listen and read what they themselves say, which I did, right? The World Economic Forum's Klaus Schwab puts it out there in black and white what the ultimate end game here. He calls it the Great Reset. Joe Biden is on board with the Great Reset but calls it Build Back Better, right? It's the same sort of thing that we heard tossed around, New World Order, One World Order. It's all the same. It's just recast. And so the ultimate end game here is to have a few carefully selected elites at the top, right, these globalists, both Democrats and Republicans, play into this. And they will have total top-down controls on the citizens of the world, which sounds like a crazy, far-out science fiction uh, conspiracy theory, right? But go and read what the Great Reset is about. That's exactly what it brings about. And interestingly enough, it, it, it uh, platforms from the coronavirus into climate change. 
And yeah. one logic that they use, uh, I'll just try and give this really quickly. One way, one argument they have is that as people uh, build and develop, it takes land away from animals. Animals are forced, therefore, into closer proximity to people. Animals carry viruses and diseases. And so that means if we don't stop development, more people are going to get uh, life-threatening viruses and diseases. They wrote about this in their journals and so forth. They talk about it at the UN. So the link has already been made. Which is insane. Well, and why is it? That, but that we have to stop driving our cars to have this happen. I mean, I, again, I don't think particularly, you know, you look at the United States and the countries that are polluting. I mean, if they really meant this, they would actually crack down on some of the countries that pollute more. Is it just that they just they don't want us to have mobility? They want us to be crammed into high density places that are easily controlled. They can be easily monitored. I mean, is, is, that, is that really why they hate vehicles? Because the EVs don't work, right? And and they don't even have enough charging stations. Is is that why they don't want us to have cars? Well, it, it's they, they detest the idea of free travel, right? In America, we can go pretty much anywhere we want, um, you know, travel in between states and so forth. But if you look at what's taking place in the last few years with all these hot lanes that are going up and these HOV lanes uh, where you have to have these uh, passes that are read by right. technology, right? So right. That's, that's a data tracker. Look at it that way. That tells where you're going, where you've been, how how far you're going, and so forth. And so when government has that sort of data, it's just control. And if you look at some of the European countries, I know Germany, 20 years ago, if you wanted to have a driver's license there, it cost like thousands of dollars. And so the the idea was that they made it prohibitive on the cost so fewer people would have licenses. And the reason for that is it keeps their roads clear for the elites who can travel freely. So when you look at these policies and agendas, you can't think common sense. You have to think, how can they get control and power out of it? And all of a sudden it starts clicking why they're doing what they're doing. Well, and you know what? In Colorado, they call those EV lanes, they call them um, limousine lanes, right? Because they keep rising the price. Right now, we live in Westminster, Colorado. So it's what, you know, 18 miles to downtown, right? Used to cost in the limousine lane $1.60, right? It can cost as much as like $9, $14 during rush hour to drive to downtown. So you're right. And in the meantime, it's all congested. But if you're an elite and you can afford that kind of money, right, then you got clear sailing. What about in terms of, I know it, it's alarming to me the amount of farm farmland that Bill Gates is buying. Why do you think they don't want us to eat meat? Is this like just an investment that he's making in like bug plants or something like that? Or what's, what's why? I mean, I know their ostensible thing is, well, it creates whatever pollution, right? But, but what do you think is behind that as well? Well, cattle, cattle farming takes land, right? It takes an awful lot of land and that's land that elites could use for their own purposes. Now, Bill Gates, right, he's sort of this different animal. He may very well believe what he puts out that, uh, you know, a gas admitted, emitted from cows uh, contributes to the uh, putting holes in the ozone and, and driving up, uh, you know, CO2 uh, emissions that contribute to climate change and so forth. He may very well believe that. But when I look at uh, what the elites do and how China is buying up our farmland and so forth, that's just to take land and put it in the hands of elites so they can keep it off limits to the rest of us, right? It's a control right. means because 
in this country when, you know, it's still an American dream to own a piece of property and own your own home. And the ultimate goal of these globalists and leftists is the sort of smart growth model, right? Where you lived in packed in communities, you perhaps live above where you work, right? Whether it's a retail shop or a, uh, you know, an office or something like that. And you, you walk to work, you, you, or you take public transportation, but there's no cars and you have no need to travel anywhere because everything you need, the government has provided for you within walking distance. Well, and, and, and that's a scary thing. One of the things that I find particularly alarming is the number of as, as newspapers and even online newspapers make less and less money. Right. One of the things I've noticed is that the increase in the number of so-called environmental articles. Right. And I know that's a direct result because they talk about this, the grants they get. So you've got non-government NGOs. Right. That are part of this globalist elite, you know, you know, great reset are now Funding a journal, what what should be journalistic organizations, and I noticed there's one here in Denver. It's called the Colorado Sun, right? Used to do pretty decent, and I would say pretty fair um, articles of, of, of general interest, right, about Colorado and things like that. Now, almost everything you look at there has a very much a green agenda orientation, and I'm sure that's because they're getting paid to do it. And, do you, and and that concerns me because you've got now, I mean, it's not just Big Pharma, but you've got these NGOs giving grants to the environmental reporters who are now obligated to write environmental stories. And you know they're not going to write, you know, hey, we don't need the Green New Deal, right? I mean, do you see that going on nationally at all, too? Yes, and I'm so glad you brought that up because that is such an underreported event that's taking place right now in America. One of those funders is George Soros, right? right? Which is not surprising, but he is actively funding, uh, media outlets to do exactly what you said, not just with climate change, but with the Second Amendment too, right? Because uh-huh. of course, guns, guns are going to be a big stumbling block for some of these globalists, right? Especially <laughs> out west. They, they, they hate the Second Amendment. And so one of the issues that they campaign against in, in newspapers, like you said, funded by these far leftist groups, is climate change and, of course, the Second Amendment. And they do it in a very clever way, right, because they don't really identify themselves as being paid shills of these leftist globalist organizations. They create this atmosphere as if it's many voices coming together on a common cause. It's sort of a grassroots uprising. So even those who might dissent, right, they're a little bit intimidated because they're thinking, wow, I'm really in the minority here. Well, you're not. You're just being victimized by this campaign of these really well-funded and fully financed and really strategic globalists who are funding newspapers around the nation to report the truth they want. And, you know, that that's a show in itself. And uh, really, I should write more commentaries on this because that's a very important point that you just brought up. And it's not being talked about enough. No, and it's, you know, it's alarming to me because we, the reason I know this is Chuck and I, we, we own a, a newspaper, the Glendale Cherry Creek Chronicle, right? And we, of course, don't get any of those grants, but we get all of the notices that you could apply for it. And so you have at the Denver Post, you have at major newspapers and, and don't even go into the online organizations, digital news organizations, right? I use the word news loosely. You've got reporter salaries that are literally being paid by these great reset organizations. And they and you know, and again, so if you're sitting there and you're an editor and you're trying to decide what to cover, you know, you're not going to, I mean, you're, you just can look at the content and they talk about, it's, it just is all this green new deal stuff. And, and you're right. 
you, you, it, it is way underreported. I mean, nobody talks about it because who is going to, right? Because they're all get, they're all part of the, they're all have their fingers in the same pie. Yeah, it, it's not the newspapers that are going <laughs> to report on that, right? <laughs> it, it reminds me of um, Mayor Mayor Bloomfield. I, I think that was his name. He was in uh, New York, New York mayor, and he left and he started that anti-gun group, the yes. Every Town Gun. Yeah, it was supposed right. to be for. Uh, you know, you know, common sense gun reform. But what he did, and he he's a billionaire, right? He started hiring all these shills of his to go into local district attorney's office, and he would pay them. It would be his organization that would pay them, and these DA offices would scoop them up because, of course, it didn't come out of their budget. They just had right. the extra manpower, the legal minds. And they were there planted by Bloomfield. And, and that sort of reminds me what you're talking about with the media. Right. One thing else kind of tying into that that concerns me, and I called this, I have to say, a while ago, is all of a sudden you're seeing increasing stories about climate deaths. Right. I saw there was a push and at first I thought it was a joke. I'm like, no, Julie, nothing's a joke anymore. It was talking about how coroners, right, and medical examiners need to be trained more to identify. It's just like the fake COVID deaths, right? They need to be able to identify and put on a death certificate when it was in part due to climate change, right? An extreme <laughs> climate. I mean, and then the other day, Hillary Clinton is talking about the threat of de- the climate deaths, right? And I worry, I mean, first of all, I don't think that's an accident that all of a sudden we're talking about climate deaths. And I think, frankly, like you said, we're, you know, we need to, it, these are perilous times. We're not very far away from the FBI saying, well, you're a terrorist if you talk about anti-climate stuff, go against the agenda there, because look at all these climate deaths, just like all the COVID deaths, right? Yeah, it sort of follows the same path, right? The the left. They're very predictable that way. And and I was laughing because I was just imagining a death certificate, you know, cause of death sunburn or something like that. I mean, <laughs> to me, to me that would be climate, right? But what they're talking the, the beauty about climate is it it is everywhere and touches everybody, right? right. If somebody is is in poverty and doesn't have enough food to eat, that's because the climate they live in doesn't give them the ability to grow their own food or a drought that wipes, I mean, a, you know, a drought that wipes out farmland or uh, a hurricane that comes along and rises the ocean and wipes out a local community. All that's blamed on the climate, which they, they don't look as a natural occurrence, right? An act of God or anything. They look at it as because we were driving too many cars. And so the, the beauty of it is that they can use that they can drum out the PhD class again, the Anthony Fauci's. They can talk right. a good game and pretend like on all the media that they go on all day long that they know what we're talking about. And we little peons, you know, head pat, we just don't understand this high science talk that they have. And so it, it, for, it works to generate the fear and hype hysteria. It's the same playbook they used for COVID. And you right. nailed it, right? With the language and the narrative, you got to pay attention to it because that's how you catch them early on. What do you think then, and going back to some of the, your original points in terms of paying attention, um, 
I mean, hope, like you said, it, what's concerning is that they, they don't need to get everybody, right? They just need to get a few. And all of a sudden, like, you know, we see the FBI is now investigating Catholics because they're an extremist group. God knows why. But and no one cares, right? Well, not that no one cares, but the people in power don't care. They're being investigated. And pretty soon, you know, we'll be investigated for saying that, you know, the icebergs aren't all melting or something. And and as you said, the scary thing is, is they don't need everybody to buy in like we saw with COVID. They just need a few key people who have a vested interest in, in getting power. I mean, that's, it is very scary when you think about it. Yeah. And it almost looks insurmountable, right? It almost looks at the point that, well, where do you fight? And what good, what good is it if you win this fight? Because there's a thousand more that the other side has won. And that's when you start looking at things like, you know, what Elon Musk has been doing on X, right, with opening doors for free speech and booting that whole censorship of conservatives, which has the left going nuts, right? right. And so we, we do have some significant wins. And you start looking at some of the uprisings uh, that take place in communities around the nation against school boards or against you know, ridiculous overreaches of local governments and so forth. And that's optimistic. And to me, optimism is the Second Amendment still stands. And I just read a report, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, that in America, there are 51% of households that say, and these are the ones, these are only the ones that acknowledge it, that say they own a gun. I mean, that's huge. That's the, that's yes. the largest amount in U.S. history. And to me, my faith always comes from God and knowing that in this nation where we were built on a foundation of God-given liberties and rights, and God has been with us from the beginning, he doesn't need a majority, right? A remnant, right. small amount. That's all his glory. So, yeah, it looks dark and perilous, but, you know, we don't quit, right? And that's no. the of, of the win in the end. <laughs> you don't quit. No, and that's, you know, and I just got a couple more questions. Actually, that's sort of my own personal philosophy. You look at things and I mean, I believe God has a plan. So all we need to worry about doing is our part. And, and, and I think you always have, you know, you've got yin and yang, you've got good and bad, dark and light, right? And I think we're seeing that now. And the fact that there is this darkness out there doesn't mean that everything is doomed. That's sort of the natural way the world tends to work. It just means that we, like you said, we have to be optimistic and keep doing our part. Which leads me to sort of my final question for you, and that is how, well, maybe my final question, you always say stuff that sparks another question. How <laughs> significant is this 2024 election, do you think? Yeah, the, this, um, everybody always says, oh, it's the most important election ever. You know, our lives yeah. depend on it and so forth. And every presidential election is important. But I truly believe if you look at the coronavirus, right, and you look at this feckless puppet, Joe Biden, and how the globalist agenda has been able to steamroll in America. And you read the words of what the globalists themselves say they want to accomplish by 2030, that if we don't have in the White House a president who understands the dangers of the globalists and who loves America and wants to keep us sovereign and free, then we are going to be facing a time in America where we are, are hurtling down the mountain. We're going to we're going to change to a point we won't be able to change back. And the only candidate I see out there is Trump, who has proven his ability to stand strong and love America. And he doesn't care what the media says. He takes all the fires and darts that are thrown his way, and he gets up and he fights them all back. And that's what America needs right now. Somebody who can tell the globalists to sit, sit, excuse me, sit down and shut up 
and let America stand by itself again, sovereign and free. Well, and you know, one of the other things too, this, this, this I promise is a final one. And one of the things I think is interesting, it wasn't that long ago that if you even talked about the World Economic Forum or something like that, you were, you considered a nut job, right? But now people, I mean, and they even, the left even talks about, it. I mean, it is something that is out there now and it's being talked about and people like you were doing great columns on it and coming on shows like this to talk about it. And, and I think always the hope is when you can shine a light on what's going on, that's when you can, you know, it's when it's not operating in secret anymore and people can see that's a, a very good step forward. And an example of that uh, taking place was when parents under the coronavirus finally saw what their kids were being taught in public schools and right. look at the fight that we're winning. Our side is winning from that. So, yes, I agree. First, you have to educate people. You got to shine the light. And then hope that they're going to see, you know, what you see and be willing to fight. Uh, well, Cheryl, listen, you have been great. I know you've got an article up there on Substack. Where can people read you, find you, hear you? Uh, at the Washington Times, um, both I write there and do my podcast there and at Substack and on um, X at C.K. Chumley. Okay, doke. Cheryl, thank you so much for your time. Th- and thank you for, for, for doing your part to shed a light on all of this as well. Oh, likewise. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Sure, sure. Cheryl, tell me there. Um, you check out her her stuff on Substack. Guys, we've got a ton of comments here, so let me. Um, let's see. Oh, I, well, I can't get to all of them. Let's see. Um, Jacob is saying irony is Pfizer overstated the efficacy of their vaccine. Said nothing happens yet. Trump is accused of overstating his property value, and he's in court. I think. Well, I think that isn't. Um, Ag, uh, the Attorney General in Texas, suing Pfizer now over that. Um. And then, oh, and Charlene says, great guest. You guys, I'm not even going to go into the iceberg comments that you guys are making. Hey, one, so Chuck, as I said, is going to be joining us hopefully here around 3.30. He had an appointment, but wanted to talk about one of the big things going on today is the Colorado Supreme Court has been hearing the arguments from both sides um, today on whether to keep the appeal on Trump on the ballot. So a little while ago, a Denver district judge ruled that um under the 14th Amendment, she did not feel she had the authority to kick Trump off of the ballot, but she did find that he was an insurrectionist. So the plaintiffs, who, by the way, are four traitor Republicans, which just makes me want to gag even thinking about those people suing to keep Trump off the ballot and to keep the rest of us from having our right to vote for whoever we want to on the presidential primary. That's a whole other thing. Um um, and so they were there in court because um, they appealed it. But also, interestingly, Donald Trump appealed the judge's finding of being an insurrectionist. So I was listening to the arguments, and I think they're probably wrapped up now. Um, but both sides, so there's seven um, judges on the Colorado Supreme Court, all of them appointed by Democrats, obviously, because we haven't had a Republican governor in Colorado forever. Um and the governor appoints it. I think five of the seven were appointed by John Hickenlooper. Um, and each side had an hour to make their arguments. And in listening to it, it's I, I got to admit, it's pretty hard to predict how they're going to go. Here's what I can tell you. My little synopsis is when the plaintiffs, the people who want to keep Trump off the ballot, were trying to make their case. And the way it works in the Supreme Court, it's not like a trial where the, the attorney presents evidence and then the judges kind of listen and they only speak every so often. In these Supreme Court things, everybody submitted briefs and they're allowed to make sort of statements. But a lot of it is being asked questions by the judges, specific questions. So the judges seem to be 
asking questions of the plaintiffs, the people who want to get Trump off the ballot regarding the 14th Amendment and saying, basically, you know, it, it does the 14th Amendment um, and the article that we're talking about pr- apply to the position of the presidency? Because it's not clear. And there have been some cases where the, it appears that the ruling has been that it isn't. When it came to the whole thing of insurrection, one of the things that they were asking the plaintiffs is, okay, so the Colorado Secretary of State can decide whether someone's qualified to be on the ballot in terms of do they meet the age requirements? Do they meet the residency requirements? But does the Colorado Secretary of State, and then by extension, this court, have the authority to decide on this whole issue of insurrection? Um, and particularly something that in, that involves a federal thing, right? That's what they were asking them. So I'm listening to that. And I'm like, well, yeah, good. These judges seem very reasonable. Um, but then Scott Gessler got up and he was arguing for Trump and the Colorado Republican Party, which is filed as an intervener in the case. And, um, and they ask essentially similar questions of him only from the other side. One thing that was encouraging to me is one of the judges asked the plaintiffs and got to the heart of why Dave Williams, the county or the state party chair, had the stake it involved. She said, well, you know, would you acknowledge that most states Trump is going to be on the ballot? They're not. There are many challenges going out there. Trump, she noted, is you know, likely to be on the primary ballot, most likely to win the primary, at least right now. And she said by removing Trump from the ballot in Colorado, aren't we basically depriving Colorado Republican voters and unaffiliated voters who want to vote in the Republican primary sort of their right to vote for who they want? And now the plaintiffs basically said, doesn't matter, Trump shouldn't be on the ballot. With Gessler, they seem to be kind of going the opposite way, though, and saying, well, you know, where is it specifically that says that it doesn't apply to the presidency? And if the 14th Amendment regarding insurrection applies to every other office, isn't it somewhat absurd to suggest it doesn't apply to the presidency? Now, Gessler did a good job of explaining why the framers, the founding fathers who frame, you know, the the framers of the Constitution, why they put in other protections. But I got to tell you, I'm not particularly convinced that a panel of liberal, progressive, Democrat appointed judges particularly cares what the founders of the Constitution thought. I mean, I think we've seen enough from Democrat judges that have made it clear in their minds the Constitution means whatever they say they think it means. And they were also arguing, you know, about insurrection. They kind of, it seemed to me, wanted to sidestep the whole question of whether Trump was an insurrectionist, whether there was an insurrection. And Gessler was trying to kind of bring up all of the things we're finding out now about the January 6th report from that biased partisan hat Congress, Um, you know, that that there wasn't just like the Russia hoax, just like the Hunter Biden laptop. All of this was just some sort of deep state fake, but but they weren't going to go there. So I, you know, I, the, the way it will work is they have to issue a ruling pretty quick because the secretary of state has to certify the ballot, um, in January. So they have to know. One thing that did concern me is one of the judges sort of said the quiet part out loud, and that is whatever is decided here, it's going to go up to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. And Scott Gessler tried to say, well, yeah, but we want to try to avoid that. But I think the judge, you know, made it clear, but whatever we do here, everybody's going to appeal it or one of the other sides going to appeal it. 
So I I kind of worry that you've got a bunch of these Democrat judges that might want to be heroes, right, at their cocktail parties and their holiday parties and things like that, and will go ahead and rule to keep Trump off the ballot under the theory that the U.S. Supreme Court will just clean things up. Um, On the other hand, you know, I don't know. Again, some of the questions were like, do we actually have the authority to do this? So I'm not sure um, what's going to happen here. Now, some of the comments... um, from Jacob, remember the Colorado Supreme Court was overruled by the United States Supreme Court on the cake maker suit. I um, mean, Charlene says, I remember way back in 1992 when I learned about the NWO, I was told that by the time the public caught on, systems were in place to prevent the public from doing anything about it. White pilled here. It would be a miracle if Colorado liberal judges resist orders. They know it's a sham. And then Dr. Donna said, heroes can still go down in flames. So, yeah, I'm not sure. But you know what? To be honest, I was surprised that the Colorado judge um, went ahead, the the Denver District Court judge, I'm sorry, went ahead and and ruled that. I I mean, I can't understand under what circumstance there was no hearing. I mean, it was just such a the 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 hearing about whether there was or wasn't an insurrection and was Trump an insurrectionist. I mean, she just sort of said, okay, he was right. That was just a hack job. So we'll have to see what what happens there. you know, I don't know. I, I mean, it's been overturned. It's been thrown out in every other state. And so sometimes if your judges, you know, I don't know, Chuck and I were talking and if, if he calls in in time, he'll talk about that because he's worked with judges, right? He's clerk for judges. And he has said, you know, judges kind of worry about getting overturned. Sometimes most of they worry about how are they going to look like like the rest of us, basically. So I'm not sure. Uh, but that's my report on that. I do want to talk about this was kind of fun. Um, oh, first, Here's what we know, some secret, not secret, insider information on CD4. Okay, we all know Ken Buck announced he's not going to run. So everybody and their mother is now running in CD4. We've got Trent Lisey. We've got Deborah Flora. There's some other people. Sources tell me that Ted Harvey, a a conservative, pro-Trump Republican, former legislator, um, is going to be announcing maybe as soon as tonight that he's going to enter the race for CD4. I like Ted Harvey. We'll try to get him on. Um, And that Jerry Sonnenberg, another former legislator who gave us the hospital provider fee, so we don't like him nearly as much, that he may enter the race as well. And we've also been assured, and I'm not, that there is perhaps another candidate out there that is like 100% grassroots America First candidate who is probably going to enter. So we'll keep you posted on that. There's like a lot of stuff going on there. Um, this is from Charlene. Deborah Flora is a Ken Buck establishment's choice. I, I think so. Now, Jerry Sonnenberg would be too. I think you're right. I like Deborah Flora, Charlene. I worked with her at KNUS. She and her husband do great stuff. I mean, we were at, you know, the police, pro-police rally where the Antifa people attacked us. Deborah Flora was right there standing next to all of us with that. Um, but let me just put it this way. She certainly is not the kind of grassroots fighter that I think Lauren Boebert is, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, Matt Gates is, Jim Jordan is. Um, yeah, so I think she is going to be the establishment choice, although that, that remains to be seen. Um, wanted to talk to, there is a presidential debate tonight. I don't know that anyone cares about that or is going to watch it, but it was kind of funny. Trump was on Hannity last night, and I don't know 
the way the Democrats work anymore, guys, they literally, I think an organization called Lawfare and other organizations put out talking points that all the liberal controlled media now pick up on. And have you noticed that everywhere it's coming up that Trump is going to be a dictator? Now, I find that ironic when you've got, you know, Joe Biden making millions of dollars through shell companies, through Hunter Biden and, and being paid by other foreign governments, right? Okay, that seems like a dictatory kind of thing to do. You've got Joe Biden turning the Justice Department on Donald Trump, where Donald Trump gets arrested and they raid his home for classified documents that he had every authority to take. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, who had no authority to take any kind of classified documents, does, and nobody cares about that. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? You've got Joe Biden's um, Justice Department now investigating Christians and parents, things like that. So who's the dictator? But all of a sudden, it's like, you know, Donald Trump, he's going to be a dictator if he gets elected. Like, what does that actually mean, really, when you get right down to it? It it means nothing. That's just what they're throwing around. Because none of us were paying enough attention when they kept saying he's a threat to democracy. See, that was too vague. People didn't understand threat to democracy. So now they're saying, okay, Donald Trump's going to be a dictator. Okay, threat to democracy didn't stick. So now he's going to be a dictator. And last night, Sean Hannity in the town hall Sean Hannity sometimes, I don't know. Um, I don't know about Sean Hannity, but anyway, he asked Trump and Trump just had this remarkable answer. Um, so, so Doug, if we could please play the Trump soundbite. The media has been focused on this and attacking you yeah. under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, one. He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm it. gonna be I'm gonna be, you know, he keeps I love this guy. He says, You're not gonna be a dictator, are you? I said, No, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies when you were president. All right. Exactly. Take a break, just getting I mean, on one hand, I just have to say what an idiot Sean Hannity is. It's like, well, you promise you won't be a dictator. Okay, let's just say that you plan to be a dictator, right? So you're going to say to Sean, I promise, I absolutely, I swear to God, Boy Scouts swear, you know, I will not be a dictator. But I love Trump, right? He just turns it around on him because it's like, what a stupid question. No offense, Sean Hannity, but what a stupid thing to even buy. Why are we even repeating their stupid talking points, right? Why are you saying, do you promise you won't be a dictator? It's like, and I assure you, if I'm Trump, I encourage Trump. Trump is a Trump supporter and someone who will vote for him. Go for retribution. You do the same thing to the Democrats that they did to you and to the rest of us, right? Because that's what they understand. I'm tired of these weak need, wishy-washy Republicans who say, well, it's okay that they're throwing our citizens in prison and doing raids on their homes for, you know, praying outside of abortion centers. You know, we, we aren't going to, we aren't going to, you know, we aren't going to stand up for that. We won't be the same kind of people. It's like, we, that's the one thing that Democrats Democrats understand, but I think Trump just handled that brilliantly too, you know? Yeah, Dr. Donna is, um, Trump, uh, Charlene, Trump is the best. Dr. Donna says he'll pinky swear he won't be a, be a dictator. Then Leo says Hannity makes Jesse Waters look good. I got to say, I kind of like Jesse Waters anymore. Yeah, why did Hannity repeat the liberal talking points? And then Jim Jackson says Trump was very nice to that idiot. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Trump gets it anymore. Trump knows no one is worried 
about Trump. I mean, what does it even mean? Right. It just like same thing, threat to democracy. Like does, you know, the COVID lockdowns under the Biden administration and, you know, the forced vaccinations, all that like that. That seems kind of dictatorial to me. Right. But but no one's asked. I mean, it's just stupid. So that was kind of funny. But one of the other things that I wanted to talk about that kind of ties into that in terms of dictator is is what the Biden administration is doing with the Justice Department. And we've all seen it. You know, you talk about weaponization. Right. And we've seen the results of the weaponization. We've seen when the the FBI is like taking pictures of parents outside of school board meetings, right? We've seen, again, when they're targeting people outside, just praying outside of abortion clinics. We see what they've done. What did we saw that they recently, it came out that the, the Department of Justice got subpoenas and they got information. They collected information from Twitter from everyone who liked, followed, commented on, any Trump tweet before he was kicked off of Twitter. And you wonder why Trump won't go back on Twitter, huh? Go figure. Um, and, and so, that, I mean, that they pro- probably everyone listening here who was on Twitter, right, w- were in their database, right? And what they're doing with their database is they use algorithms to kind of weed out in whatever way they want to weed out. Because people would say, well, that's got to be so much information. But no, they use that to weed it out, to weed things out um, and, and again, that's just one example. But there was a guy on with a Donald Trump Jr.'s podcast. He was an FBI whistleblower. And he was talking about the danger of what he called these circular investigations. And he kind of, and I'll play a soundbite for you, but but to kind of set it up, he said, before the FBI used to be involved in criminal investigations, and those were linear. You'd have a crime, then you'd have an investigation that gathered evidence. Um, They would arrest a suspect, hopefully, and then that suspect would go to trial, and there would either be enough evidence to convict the suspect or the suspect would be released. That's all linear. And then it was done. But he said what the FBI does now so much anymore, and we saw that with Donald Trump and all the, the, you know, Operation Crossfire Hurricane, all of that is they launch what he called intelligence operations. And he said intelligence operations are just circular. And the bottom line is in an intelligence operation, what you do is you pick your suspect Right. And then you investigate and investigate and you never stop investigating till you find some crime to charge the person with. And he said that is what the FBI has been turned into. And that is what all of us, you know, again, so they've got all this data from Twitter. Right. So if they decide, oh, OK, well, that's intelligence. Right. So now they, they decide, oh, they don't like what Julie Hayden, they don't like what Charlene or Leo or, or any of us are saying. So all they do now is they 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 launch an intelligence investigation and they gather intelligence on us and the people we know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's never ending and they can end up doing anything they want. So if we could please play, Doug, the FBI whistleblower soundbite. You are running intelligence operations. You are running counterterrorism. What you do is you allege uh, Donald Trump Jr. is on the threat landscape under the militia violent extremist landscape. He really thinks that we shouldn't have laws governing suppressors. And so that makes him an MVE. And as an MVE, I want to go and investigate him. So they start doing that and they look into you and then they say, well, who's he talking to? Let's subpoena his bank records. Well, we can't do a subpoena. We're going to use what's called a national security letter. That's a secret subpoena that's signed off on by an FBI person who will get all your bank records and see, well, who's he spending money with? Where does he go? Does he shoot suppressors? Does he rent guns when he goes to Las Vegas? Does he do this? Does he do that? Okay. 
okay, fine. So they do all these things and they dig on you. Then they've got a whole list of other people. Then they spin circles on them and they spin circles on them and so on and so forth. And now we have a whirlpool of circles. And some of those people may involve themselves in some criminal activity, even peripherally. Once we know that those exist using all these national security tools, I can go make a linear investigation start. It's a thing that's called parallel construction. So what I do is I go, I know that in your safe is an unlicensed machine gun. And I know that because I've been snooping into your text messages and I've been doing this and I've been doing that. I found them out through all these illicit means that are only for intelligence purposes, not for criminal. But because I know they're there, I can write that search warrant. And when I go find it, I'm not going to embarrass the judge because it's going to be there. So even if my PC is weak, I'm the FBI. I'm going to get a lot of credibility. The judge may not even read my probable cause statement and my affidavit. I've seen affidavits that were signed off on that had factual lies that were not accurate. There was one in Tampa where they were talking about a so-called jihadi, and they claimed that he was a felon who could not own guns because he had been convicted of Saudi Arabian terrorist charges at the age of 15 and then come back to the United States. He was a minor in another country, and they claimed that was a real felony conviction that would stop him from owning a gun here, which, by the way, it didn't because he bought guns in gun stores. They don't show up in background checks because that's not real. That's not American law. So things like that will make it into an affidavit and the judge will still sign it because it's the FBI. That's how you start getting all these linear J6 stuff, but they're all starting from who do they know, who are they talking to, so on and so forth. It's this threat landscape, which is very nebulous, and it's it's what police states do. They they pick a victim and then they go find what crime they did. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, th- I think this, this stuff is so important for people to understand. It's why I'll say, hey, guys, like, like, share, subscribe, make sure that people see this, because again... I- one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it, because I think people people do need to understand that that's the way the FBI is working now. And it has been for some time, but it it, it is not turned against terrorists anymore. Right. There was a time, I think, after January 6th, where initially they probably did a lot of damage to a lot of people who were not terrorists, but they would entrap them and things like that. Right. But now they are using it against domestic people like us. They're using it against citizens. And they're just calling us, well, they need to gather intelligence on domestic terrorists, right? And so that would be your average Catholic, by the way, which Josh Hawley had an interesting exchange with the FBI. In. And then they just lie to Congress and they say, oh, no, no, we're not doing that. And then someone comes forward and say, well, we are doing that. And what did Ray say? Well, we admonish those people. It's like, oh, great. We admonish those people. And, and you, you got it. So January 6th, is that's coming out now, too. They had literally hundreds of undercover FBI and FBI informants there, right? Um, so much so that they have to blur like everybody's faces because there's so many FBI agents in the videotape being released that they can't, it's just too confusing. And, but that's what they do. Right. And that's what he's talking about, this circular investigation. So the FBI infiltrates these organizations. It goes out there. It, it, it creates this, you know, you can't even say insurrection anymore. Right. You see so many videotapes of the people walking in with the, we played the videotapes on this show with the Capitol police going by. Right. But in the meantime, though, you've got the FBI now saying, well, this person liked a Donald Trump tweet. Oh, and I see by their cell phone data, which the, you know, companies gave over and by their credit card charges with the bank willingly gave us that they were in the Washington DC area then. So now years after the event, we're going to call them an insurrectionist. Right. Um, and it's just, it, it is scary. And, and I think when I was talking to Cheryl earlier, you look at the whole climate thing now too. Right. I mean, which is really has nothing to do with climate and everything about redistributing the wealth from us to them. Um, they're going to start anybody who complains about that too. So it is a kind of thing that I think people need to be aware about it. 
Um, and then from Jim Jackson, uh, Jim, I'm threatening to use American troops in Ukraine if Congress doesn't prove more money is dictatorial. Yeah, that's true. That's true, too. Hey, and the final thing I want to talk about today is Kevin McCarthy. I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but is resigning um, at the end of the year. Um, it's like, you know, I don't know. Why don't we expel another Republican, right? We got rid of George Santos. So Kevin McCarthy is like, fine, I don't get to be speaker anymore. Then I get so what that leave us, I guess, maybe down to one vote majority. Hey, that would be Ken Buck. And we know we can count on him. What is it with the stupid Republicans? And, you know, I kind of like some of the stuff that Kevin McCarthy did. Um, and I know that that Johnson, he seems to be doing some good things, but Marjorie Taylor Greene is on a tirade against him, too, over the budget bill. Um, and he's between an Iraq and a hard place. But why would you why would you do that? Why would you if you know, if you care about a Republican majority in Congress, why are a sudden are all of these Republicans quitting? We've got enough with traitor Republicans um, like like Ken Buck, who will vote against the Republican agenda. Why? What is McCarthy doing? Right. And I got to assume, you know, he's mad because he didn't get to be speaker. And so he doesn't have power anymore and he doesn't get to distribute money. So no one's calling him constantly. And I got to figure that probably he's got some kind of lobby organization lined up someplace, maybe to funnel more money to Ukraine or the Defense Department. But it's kind of like. You know, we're talking about it earlier. Just sometimes the Republicans can be so stupid. Why? We we finally get a majority. We're finally actually doing something or at least attempting to do things with a majority. And so what do we do? Well, we start kicking Republicans out. We start quitting so that we don't have enough Republicans. It's like you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait just a little bit longer, um, but apparently not. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, which, again, makes the CD4 races I was mentioning so... I think it's important. It's one of those races um, that that could be won, right? Um, it has been held by Republicans. It'll probably be won by a Republican, I guess, not could be won. It probably will be won. Um, but the candidate there, hopefully it will be, turn out to be a grassroots uh, grassroots person. Because um, Lauren Boebert, they're doing everything they can to take down her, including, and we're going to talk about this at a later show, the establishment Republicans. Did you see? So Lauren Boebert barely wins, right? So you'd think, that the Republicans in Colorado, and I'm not talking about the Republican Party, Dave Williams and those guys, because they're doing the best they can and they're doing a great job, I think. But I'm talking about the established Republicans, the rhinos. So what do they do? They all are getting behind this Jeff Hurd guy, a Grand Junction Republican who wants to primary Lauren Boebert. And, and I looked at the list of people and I got a... I mean, the youngest one was like 100 years old. I mean, they're, they're bringing back all of these ancient Republicans. I'm like, I didn't even know that person was still alive who were endorsing Jeff Hurd. And I was telling Chuck, I want to see a letter of you know competency that that person's actually competent mentally to declare that they support that, because I don't know. But then the Denver Gazette, which is a Phil Anschutz owned and operated organization, comes out and endorses the, 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 the other person, right? And it's like, what do they got against Lauren Boebert? Um, she was actually, yes, there's some issues with Lauren Boebert, but for the most part, she could be counted on to vote Republican, right? It's not like she's not voting Republican. You may not like her for this or that, but she's voting Republican, at least. Nobody tried to primary Ken Buck before who's not even voting Republican. So, you know, the Republicans got to wake up. And thankfully, and I've said this before, we've got guys like you, people who listen to this podcast, uh, people who vote, people who get involved, and the grassroots 
are starting to gain more and more, more power and influence. And guys are not going to let go of their control easily, but, but, but we're not going to give up the fight easy either. Um, so that's going to wrap it up with us. I get, I'm sorry about Chuck. He thought he'd be out of his meeting, but he will be back on Friday. I've got a ton of stuff. We're going to have Ash Epp is going to be on, on Friday to talk about, she was down at the courthouse today for the uh, ballot Trump hearing. Um, so she'll give us an update from that. And Leo sent me a video, Leo, I'm going to have to edit it a little bit for our party Friday video, but that'll do it for us today. Thank you to Cheryl Trumley, everybody on zoom, Doug at BBS. We will see you all on Friday.